welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today's episode is sponsored by Evofem Biosciences, NASDAQ EVFM, a female-forward company revolutionizing women's healthcare with game-changing products that address unmet needs in women's sexual and reproductive health. Learn more at evofem.com. Today's episode, we interview Gail Sexton Anderson, founder, CEO of Donor Concierge and Tulip. Gail has had a long and successful career in leading the industry of egg donation and surrogacy. Her newest company, Tulip, is a simple do-it-yourself online search platform that helps intended parents navigate the challenging process of finding an egg donor through their proprietary database of almost 20,000 egg donors. That's nearly 90% of all U.S. donors. Gail and I had a super fascinating conversation about all things egg donation, surrogacy, and egg searching. Enjoy! Sorry, I'm not in my normal... um... I'm not home. I'm actually in a hotel room in New Jersey because my okay. sister had a baby on Monday. Oh, that's so great. I know. I, I, I know. And I, I, I wish it all the best. Which yes. Yeah. The baby's great. She's doing great. But I'm that's like good. trying to be a founder hustling out of a hotel room. All right. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. I, I, I've tried to do that before and have a conversation with a client where it's like, the uh, Wi-Fi was really bad. It was like cutting out. I'm like, ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So any any grace you could throw at me, I'd, I'd appreciate it. You probably Absolutely. don't even notice, but I'm I'm like I'm so unprepared. You, I know. <laughs> no, actually, that makes me feel more relaxed. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> awesome. Good. It is really awesome to have you. I was looking at your LinkedIn before we started our interview, and. You have been in this field for a while now. A long time. <laughs> I was like, this lady knows what's up. It's not like you, you know, uh, just decided to recently get into it. Like no. you've been in it for a while. So I'm really excited to hear about your experience with it. The whole history sure. of egg donation and surrogacy. It's, it's going to be great. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. And, and it, it is sort of an unusual area. Um, and it's sort of the thing that like, you don't grow up going like, oh, I think I'm going to work in the area of egg donation and third party fertility when I grow up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And and in some ways I got into it in a little bit different um, way than many people do, because I was lucky enough that I didn't necessarily need those services, Mm -hmm. but I've always been very interested in sort of, you know, family formation. And so when I first moved to California, I kind of got introduced to this because I moved next door to someone who had an egg donor and surrogacy program, and I was just fascinated. And I actually wound up working with her for a few years. Found I loved it because I loved being. My background's in psychology. Okay. And you know, I have a master's in counseling from Harvard Graduate School of Education. And what I found really fascinating was just helping people to feel more at ease. And like you know, 25 years ago, this was 
even newer than it is now, mm-hmm. you know, because um, it was like, it's only about 30 years old as it is. And so for people to start feeling comfortable and not like what I'm doing seems very bizarre, um, just helping people to feel more at ease, whether they were an egg donor or whether they were intended parents or whether they were a surrogate, you know, mm-hmm. that was what I really liked doing is, is helping them to feel more comfortable. You are an important person with the right intentions. <laughs> That's <Thank you>. awesome. <laughs> well, where, where are you from originally? I'm originally from Maryland. I grew up um, back east. Okay. And um, I've now been living in California for 25 years because uh-huh. uh, we moved out here when my daughter was 10 months old and she's 26. So. <laughs> well, that's a good barometer of time. I was going to say, that's um, how you keep track of things. <laughs> yeah. What major event can I link this to? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit basics because we have a lot of people that listen to our show that are not actually in femtech or, you know, they, they're women or they're just men that are, you know, they think this is interesting and important, but we need some basic education. So what is egg donation? What is surrogacy? Sure. How do those sometimes interact? How do they not interact? Give us kind of like the 101 on this. Okay, 101. (laughs) So um, egg donation comes into play when either um, if you're a woman, when um, you find that you can't use your own um, genetic material, the eggs that you were born with, and, you know, we're born with a certain number of eggs, and they don't get replenished. And so you get to a certain point where you may still have eggs, but as we get older, then when they are fertilized, they don't... um, divide in, in such a nice, neat way, which is why you wind up having chromosomal problems. Mm. And so you may get to a certain point where fertilization may not even take place because um, the, um, the eggs are just not functioning as well mm-hmm. at a certain point. Mm-hmm. So if that happens and you'd like to still be able to maybe say carry a child, then you may start looking for an egg donor. Though, you know, most of us don't grow up saying, oh gosh, I can't wait to choose my egg donor. <laughs> Unless you are a gay man. And then in that, which case it's like this huge, you know, door has been opened that, you know, you never thought you'd be able to have children. Um, and, and now you have that opportunity to have children. So, um, so that's one part of it. We, you know, Mm -hmm. also sometimes help people find sperm donors. So that can come into play as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously you need to have egg and sperm, put those together to create the embryo. And then you need to have um, a healthy uterus to carry that um, embryo um, all the way through to birth. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that might be um, the, what we call the intended mother, the woman mm-hmm. who maybe her eggs are not functioning properly, but she can still carry. She has our the uteruses, uteruses and, yep, our uteruses yep. work for a lot longer than our eggs do. <laughs> um, so, so that's a good thing. Um, and, uh, you know, but if there's something that sometimes women are born without a uterus or their uterus maybe is bifurcated, so mm-hmm. which means it's sort of split. And so carrying mm-hmm. um, a baby to term may not be, you know, realistic. Yeah. Or maybe like right. cervical cancer or cervical something cancer, like that. Cervical cancer. There's yeah. so many things that can affect um you know, maybe their, their lining just never develops as mm-hmm. it should for being able to have the, um, the embryo actually adhere and, and be able to grow. Mm-hmm. And in which case they would need to find a, a surrogate or what we often call a gestational carrier. Mm. Um, we try to avoid the mother term because she's not the mother of this child. Um, she has her own children. So she's not planning on being the mother of this child. She knows that she's, she's signing up for this to be helpful to someone else. And that's okay. kind of fulfilling a dream for her in many ways to be able to give them something that they can't do on their own. Mm, I have so many questions. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) so it sounds like we have three variables here. We have, sometimes we need sperm, uh, and the other two things are good or right. And sometimes we need an egg and sometimes we need a uterus. Um, sometimes you need all three. (laughs) Sometimes you need all three of them. (laughs) Well, you always need all three, but sometimes you have to go, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And so, um, uh, all right, here's one question. Cause like I said, I have a bunch in my head right now. One question you know how when you have like an organ donation and it has to be like the same uh, immune system type in order for your body not to reject it, can we accept anyone's egg in our uterus or does it have to be of a certain type of person? No, it, 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 it pretty much is like any any egg will do. Mm. The, the issue comes down to more a matter of because eggs have all of that genetic um, information in them mm-hmm. that, you know, if you're, let's say, um, you know, for some reason, you would need an egg donor. You'd mm-hmm. probably want to find someone who had some similarities to your own family. And that's something where it's sort of like eggs are not just interchangeable um, because they carry so much um, where it's like you'd like to at least have a child that um, that you can relate to, you know, the donor that's willing to, you know, to, to give their yeah. eggs um, so that that child will look like they belong in your family. So it's not kind of like this, like, well where did this child come from? Or for the child to go, how come I don't look anything like you? Um, Not that that's the most important factor, but it is something that helps people to feel more comfortable with making that decision Mm -hmm. and being able to move forward. You know, it's so funny you say that because I remember, I think it was a little while ago, I had a conversation with some friends. They have a lesbian couple, you know, they got a donor and they, you know, chose a white man's sperm. And we were talking about like, well, is that, you know, where's the line of racism or whatever, or where is it like caring? You know, it's actually like an act of care to, you know, mm-hmm. you, this baby's already going to one day find out that potentially that the sperm came from someone else and like sure. lesbian moms and like mm-hmm. what, and, and, you know, we talk about tough stuff on this, on this podcast and everyone knows sure. that we're just really authentic and we're probably mm-hmm. at, talking about stuff that everyone else thought about too. So do yeah. you, do you know anything around like what's the culture or like the current status quo around that like is it recommended to let's say two lesbian moms to find a white or two white lesbian moms to find another white sperm donor or is like do you does like services like this not even talk about that you know it's 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 really it's always going to be up to the the um the future parents Mm -hmm. as to what they're comfortable with what works for them you know i've worked with um with gay men before like a single gay man who, um, who was a white gay man, but he wanted to find an um, Asian egg donor because he was generally attracted to Asian men. Okay. And so that if, you know, you know, it's just like, that's probably what his children would look like. That's why he chose that. It, it's more, um, it, it's a very personal issue. Super Most personal. people are not going to tr- choose someone who's outside of their race, unless they, there's some other reason mm-hmm. why they might. So, yeah, but it's always going to be right. their choice as yep. to you know, who they, they pick. Mm-hmm. But I find that most of the time people want to find someone who looks like they would fit into their family. Yeah. They yeah. don't want to make this more difficult for the child. More difficult than it may already is. Childhood sucks sometimes, you know? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're probably going to end up in therapy anyways. Let's not like <laughs> <laughs> set them up for it. <laughs> 
um, so I have one more question and then I really want to talk about your startups. Um, yes. One other question I have is the surrogacy part. So do women get paid to carry babies in their uterus? Is it usually like a family member of the couple that can't carry it themselves? Is it a friend or like, what is, what is this? I mean, some, sometimes that works out that there's yeah. either a family member or friend that is willing to help them. I always recommend that even even if that is the case, they should really still have legal documents um, lined up yeah. because, you know, carrying, a, a, you know, pregnancy is high risk. And so you need to make sure that you've thought through because it's like you go into this sort of arrangement thinking like, oh, everything's going to be fine. And, and we're <laughs> friends, we're, you know, we're family, we're not gonna have any complications, but there can always be complications. And it's much better to think through these things prior to creating a pregnancy mm -hmm. than if something comes up during the pregnancy and then there's a panic. Um, mm -hmm. So, but yes, women are paid to be surrogates or they're compensated is, is really what it comes down to. Okay. Um, as they are compensated um, because this is a very long process and, and it's, it's longer than nine months. Um, and I don't know where the mm. nine months ever came from anyway. It's 40 weeks, which is 10 months. <laughs> but at any rate, we always think of pregnancy as nine months, but it, it, um, it, it takes longer than that because there's a lot of testing and, um, and hormones that have to be taken before an embryo can be mm. transferred. Mm -hmm. um, there's, it's a very interactive relationship, even if it's not someone who's like within your family or friend group. You know, so it's something where you're going to be having wow. you know, regular contact with this person yeah. and, you know, that they need to be supported and you need to be supported and all of that. So, yeah. but they are compensated. Yeah. Wow. All right. All right. Again, I could ask questions all day. This podcast has totally ruined me. I'm just like Miss Question Lady. Like in my yeah, life, people totally are like, what's fine. with all the questions? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm a podcast. We can always talk later too. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about um, Donor Concierge and Tulip. Can you tell okay. us about them? Absolutely. So I founded Donor Concierge um, like 14 years ago, many, many years ago, after having worked within egg donor and surrogacy programs for you know quite a long time. And finding that for um, anyone who, because eggs are just kind of not interchangeable, you know, it's, it, you know, it's sort of, I think sometimes on the science um, side of things, it's like an egg is an egg. But if you are the intended parent and you're creating your family and you're not able to go forward with your own genetics, you know, it's like you want to find someone who you like mm. so that, you know, because we do really encourage people to be um, very open with their children. Mm -hmm. um, and so you want to be able to say when your child says, oh, why did you choose this person? You want to be able to say, well, I, I liked her and this is why yeah. I liked her, you know, and, and, you know, that could be different for every person that, that, uh, goes through this. Um, but, um, I started doing this because, well, specifically I would wind up having people of color. And at that time it was like, I would have people who were, um, Chinese or, um, you know, Asian Indian mm -hmm. who would be looking and the attitude of um, the person running the agency, not me, it was not my agency, okay. <laughs> but would be kind of like, well, yeah, no, we don't have any Chinese donors or oh. Indian donors, but we do have this nice, you know, Latino girl uh -huh. um, and dark hair, dark eyes, same thing, right? It's like, no, oh, yeah. <laughs> not at all. Mm -hmm. um, particularly, you know, for, I mean, it, it's painful, even if their husband was of the same race, but often maybe their husband will be Caucasian. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, that, that means it looks like this child will not even look like the mother at all, not, not even yeah. a tiny bit. 
Um, and for many women, it would mean that they would just decide, well, I'm not going to do this. And, it, and I had a woman who would contact me like every three to six months. And, um, and I think her name was Anna. And she would be like, do you have any new Chinese donors? <laughs> um, and so oh, she actually wow. wound up being my first client with Donor Concierge because I wound up, you know, I would just check and see like where I could find other donors. And then I would, you know, send her profiles and eventually she did wind up, you know, finding someone. But because I just thought there has to be a better way. And and because the, the, initially the attitude was kind of, you know, pick from what I have, even if it's only mm. eight donors. And even if you have to wait for two years to work with that donor, which is not very, uh, not a good realistic expectation. Mm-mm. Because, you know, it's not this girl's job to be a donor. You know, it's sort of like she's doing it and then she may decide, I don't want to do it again. And yeah. if you're waiting, you're kind of left in the cold. Um, and you were a matchmaker. Exactly. You were a uterus egg matchmaker. <laughs> That's it. Whoa. So I used to own a DNA based dating app and I'd go to these dating conferences and the matchmakers were there as well. And so I learned a lot about the matchmaking business and it's all about, they have these databases and they all share clients and they all have all these like qualities about their clients and Mm -hmm. they all want, you know, each other's to succeed and finding their clients love. And so it sounds like that's what you did where it was like, instead of just being on this dating app, picking from here, you know, you kind of have this option of somebody else searching, searching around for you. Exactly. You know, I, I had someone who one time, like six months after I'd worked with her, um, you know, she was looking for a French Jewish donor, tall, thin, you know, because uh, that's what my client looked like. Uh-huh. And and there was a girl that wound up, you know, kind of coming in into the database and, and I contacted her and well, there was a match, you know, but because it's uh. like, you, you want to find someone who, you know, you, you're never going to find like your doppelganger. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. everyone is very unique, but you want to find someone who you can kind of go, I like her and I can relate to, to, you know, like certain things. She looks like she could fit into my family. I can now move forward because otherwise it feels too alien. To what do, we Orwellian. keep talking? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, we ke- keep talking a lot about looks. What about um? I, I feel like uh, SAT scores are like a thing. Is that true, or is that some cultural it, thing that I have in my mind that people are know, looking for, for people with high people. SAT scores? No, it, it, for some people it is, and and yeah. I'd say with donor concierge that is often for many of our clients that's a very important factor. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's always a factor for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it just happens that with donor concierge, often we have people that are highly educated and that's mm-hmm. their tribe, you know, that's what yeah. they're looking for. Mm-hmm. But that's also why we have um, developed Tulip because Tulip is really for, you know, it's, it's more of the do-it-yourself so that Ooh, you can kind tell of do us about your homework. That. Yeah, so, so Tulip has, has, you know, kind of having learned as much as we have over the years with donor concierge, we developed our own um, proprietary um, database so that we can, um, you know, have all that information. We've been using it internally for the last, you know, three or four years. And now we have launched it so that, you know, it's available to the public. Mm-hmm. And so if you are looking for someone who, you know, say, you know, I can't tell the color your eyes are, but let's say you have blonde <laughs> hair and brown eyes or something like yeah. that, that you might put in there, blonde hair, brown eyes, you know, whatever. And then you can sort of get a sense of, you know, who would kind of, you know, fall into that. Oh. And then you can kind of, make your own, you know, you can, um, uh, you know, divvy them up into the yes, no, maybe, mm-hmm. and then, you know, ask more questions because we also have, we have the tool of coaches who are there to kind of help direct and, um, educate you along the way. So as you're looking, you can have a much better idea of, you know, 
what you're doing because for everyone who's going into this, you know, you're, they're all going to be very new. And we've yeah. done this thousands of, th- of times. Yeah. So. How many babies do you think you've helped make? Oh my gosh. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm a psychologist, not a numbers person, but you figure <laughs> like roughly, you know, we probably work with at least 350 couples uh, a year and uh-huh. over the last 14 years, you know, Oh my gosh. You think, and, has and anyone named other kids they had? So. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think any of them have named their baby after you? Are they Gail? Uh, Are there Gales out there? Not that I know of. I have one that, that, that claimed she was going to do that, but she then she didn't. So that, that's okay. <laughs> no offense taken. No offense taken. No, no, Maybe no offense Tulip taken. will catch on. That would be kind there of cool. There you go. And, and they'll that's have a, a lot cool of Tulips name. out there. <laughs> um, how much is it to get to do this, to get an egg? Are you like buying the egg? Does insurance help with this? And I, and I'm going to tell you what I'm getting at eventually, which is sure, socioeconomic, sure. you know, um, right. privilege right. of mm-hmm. having do this. So tell us about the prices sure. of this service. You know, um, when it comes to tulip, it, it is much because donor concierge, it's not that it's like super expensive. The cost for, you know, the donor concierge services are a drop in the bucket compared to everything else. Mm. But, um, you know, our, our goal with doing TULIP is to make it more accessible for, you know, people who aren't necessarily, you know, um, in a high economic range, mm-hmm. you know, because everyone, you know, regardless of where you're coming from, there's the desire to, to create a family, mm-hmm. you know, and, and eventually we would love to be able to have, say, embryos, you know, embryo donation be part of the platform oh. for, um, for TULIP, um, which is probably the most... Um, cost-effective way to be able to create a family. Um, so, and, and that's, you know, when it comes to embryo donation, that might be more like um, seven to 9,000 to do that. So that is mm-hmm. the, say the least, and that's more like, that's not, you're not buying embryos. It, it's more the, you know, the medical cost and that sort of thing to mm-hmm. be able to, you know, go through that. Oh, that's um, actually a really good ethical question, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I was like, I've, what do you mean you're not buying the embryo? And I'm like, oh my yeah, God. Because no, You might be paying for the storage cost. You might yeah, be paying for legal yeah. and medical, but you're not, you don't buy embryos. Yeah. Um, and, um, and basically you don't buy any genetic material, but it's a little bit of a gray uh, area, really. Okay. Um, when it comes to egg donation, it can really vary because, you know, there are, if you go say frozen egg, which means that, you know, you get fewer of them, but it may be a little you know, less expensive, Mm -hmm. um, you get, you know, probably maybe five to six, um, eggs in a cohort, which generally means that you are most likely to be able to have, you know, one child. And for many people, that's more than enough, you know, Mm -hmm. just, they just want to be able to have, have at least one child. Um, if they really have the, you know, goal of having more children, they may want to go with say, um, a fresh donor cycle, which may cost them a, a little bit more, but then all of those eggs, are theirs all the and, and resulting embryos all belong to them uh-huh. so that they can then you know um, freeze them have um, you know a sibling cycle later on oh. and you know if they so choose they could then donate those any embryos that they have not decided to use if they've you know, said two kids or three kids is more than enough and we still have, have one to five embryos left they may want to consider the sort of the pay it forward of donating those embryos oh, yeah. for someone who can't afford to go through the same process that they that's went good. through. So. How many eggs are typically quote unquote harvested? I think that's actually the right word, but it can be kind of a scary word. <laughs> People don't yeah. know that's actually the lingo, but <laughs> right. uh, how many eggs are typically harvested from a donor at one time? Um, you know, it, 
it varies. You know, it can uh-huh. be anywhere from, um, you know, say 10 to 20 is considered to be sort of average. There are times when it may be more. Okay. Um, it just sort of depends on, I mean, it, it can vary quite a bit, you know, mm-hmm. from donor to donor to just, you know, how, mm-hmm. um, how much stimulation maybe she has or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, what I'm hearing you saying is, you know, to get, to go through the service, it's, you know, somewhere from seven to $10,000, right? Um, what do you see as, you know, um, what is working and what isn't working? Like, is insurance covering this stuff? Is it not covering this stuff? Like, is there something you wish the industry had in terms of financial support? Oh, sure. I, I wish that all, all uh, <laughs> I wish that all insurance would cover and, and more than just say one cycle, because it's mm-hmm. often takes more than one cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some um, really good insurance out there. Carrot is one that, that really does mm-hmm. cover quite a bit. And that, so that's been, you know, something I think that's a real, very helpful for anyone who's facing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, a lot of insurance doesn't cover it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can make it really hard. And I know a lot of people wind up, you know, they may mortgage their home, borrow money from parents, that wow. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you say the cost of the service, because like basically the cost of, let's say if someone wanted to use donor concierge to help them find a donor, you know, that is, you know, one fee, it's not seven to $10,000. Yeah. Um, and, and with Tulip, it's like they can go on and, you know, look through possible candidates but, and to see more um, detailed information about each of any of those candidates. Mm. We have a subscription, which is like $99 for a month. That's awesome. So, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. I, I heard um, that there's many fertility clinics that still have like literally a laminated book with pictures in it in terms of who the donors are. So... Is that again a myth that I just heard, or is that true? There, and you're there, like, maybe some revolutionizing but, you know, I, it. Well, and and I think the difference is that, um, and and it may still be true with some clinics um, mm-hmm. that they have, you know, a book. But that and that's what we started with, you know, 25 <laughs> years ago. Is there was a book, you know, it was uh-huh. a loose loose leaf binder. Um, but most people have them in a database now, which is just a better way to kind of keep track of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but most. And some clinics actually do have a very sophisticated plan, and that could be a really good way for someone to find a donor um, is, is through their, their clinic, and that may be the most cost-effective way for them to do it. Um, and so I certainly, I think that that's a really good option for many people. But people, you know, it's like, it depends on who you are and who they have at that particular point in time. Mm-hmm. If they have someone that could be a great fit for you, but they say, oh, great, you can work with her next year. Um, and next year isn't like we're in December. Um, you know, it's it's like like you're in January, and they're saying next year. And and oh. that's I always kind of uh, say, don't like d- don't count on that because you can't be sure that when it's your turn that she's still going to want to donate. Yeah. She may have gone on to do other things, and and you've lost another year. So mm-hmm. I always say, you know, you can put your name in, but keep looking because yeah. you know you don't want to put all your hopes on that person because it's, it's your life's hope by using her, but that's not this young woman's, you know, career goal to be a donor. And she has, Mm -hmm. she has a busy life. Yeah. So she may not want to do another cycle when it's your turn. Yeah. Why, why do women donate eggs besides it being like a good thing for the potential future couples that she may never meet? Um, you know, is it, because I also know like she has to like give herself hormones ahead of time and like she has to go in and it's a minor procedure, but nevertheless procedure. And so why do women, why would, why do women do that? You know, I'd say that most women who choose to be donors, they, um, 
they usually have heard about it either from friends who've done this. Sometimes they have um, friends or relatives who have needed to, you know, use a donor. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe they were like a nanny for someone, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes that happens. And Mm -hmm. um, and they, that made them think about it more. So I think that it, it, I always feel like it's a dualistic motivation because on the one hand, they want to do something good to help someone else. On the other hand, it can be very helpful for them, you know, because it can help them to, you know, pay for student loans or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so it's sort of, and, and most, it, it, it's sort of, you can do this maybe six times. That's sort of what ASRM recommends, not doing it any more than six okay. times. Uh-huh. So, and, and your, your window of doing this is relatively limited because basically you've got about a 10 year window that um, you would be eligible to be a donor, oh. even though you maybe you could have you know children easily mm-hmm. after the age of 30 most people aren't going to choose a donor who's over the age of 30 <laughs> yeah yeah because so. they want to increase the chances of success so they want yeah. like kind of the youngest eggs yeah yeah wow this has been so interesting um is there anything else about surrogacy and egg donation that you want our listeners that love femtech to know about whether that's like current struggles or your future hopes for the industry sure you know, that, that's, a, that's a good question. And I'd say um, one of the things that I, I think about is, um, and, and we're lucky that we have a representative um, who, um, Camille Guati, who is an actress, she was on, on Prison Break, and, and she has had a child through egg donation. Uh-huh. And she's willing to be open and, mm. and to share her story. And that's something where it's always, a, you know, everyone's personal decision, but I, I wish people would be more open because otherwise there can be that illusion that so-and-so at the age of 47, you know, that they were able to get pregnant. And so there's still hope for me. Mm. And, you know, there could be, mm-hmm. but the, the odds of getting pregnant at that age are just like in the, you know, single digits Yeah, yeah. Um, and the low single digits. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something where, you know, you could go through an awful lot of cycles and never find that, you know, the one good egg. And so that's something that I think could be, you know, as, as women, you know, I think that, that I would love to see people be more open because yeah. they, they need those, they need the support. They need the role models. Yep. Well, yeah. you know, that's kind of a theme of femtech in general, right? Like having women be more open about their hot flashes or having yeah. women be more open about having their period, like instead of hiding their tampon in the sleeve of their shirt, you know, like pretty <laughs> essentially any female function, we should be a little bit louder and prouder about, right? Exactly. In order to alleviate the tabooness, alleviate the mystery of it, alleviate the idea that we're the only ones suffering. Nobody yeah. else has ever felt like this or done that or whatever, right? right? And that's why we have this show is because we're like, oh, (laughs) one in three women, huh? Sounds really common. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) well, exactly. And and, and it is. Wow. 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 This has been so awesome. I want to ask you two last questions that our listeners really love it when I ask our guests. The first one is we have a lot of aspiring founders that listen, Mm -hmm. um, particularly wanting to start a femtech company. So what's an area in women's health and wellness that you think still needs innovating? Uh, Insurance. Mm. (laughs) That's a a huge area because Mm. there are so many things that are not covered. Um, and, And say if someone needs to go through surrogacy, Right now, the only insurance that really covers surrogacy is a Lloyd's of London um, policy, and it's very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to see there be some real innovation in the area of insurance for yeah. all types of, of you know, fertility issues, because it's a very common family building issues, you know, just mm. because it's not just um, 
you know, people who are, are struggling from infertility, you know, you also have a whole population of the LGBTQ community who mm-hmm. they also need to be able to be covered that's when right. they are ready to build their families. Absolutely. hundred so percent. I think is a huge area. Yeah. I have, um, these, uh, two friends out in San Francisco and they're, they're an older, you know, female gay couple and they got a sperm donor and the woman, uh, was telling me all about their experience and how beautiful it was. And we're friends on Facebook. We met at like a business conference and, mm-hmm. um, they are the best moms ever. Like this 11 year old girl has no idea, like how amazing her life is. And I'm just like, yeah. We cannot inhibit this kind of parenting from no. happening, y'all. <laughs> like no, these exactly. are like fucking ten out of ten stars. Ten out of ke- ten yes. kids would recommend these parents. Exactly, you know? <laughs> exactly. It, it, no, uh, I, I, I totally agree. We, and and yeah. you know we've helped so many people, you know, um, in non traditional, you know, to, mm. to, to create their families, and they're amazing parents. So amazing! Oh yeah. my gosh, yes. All right, the last question I want to ask you is. Um, what does the femtech industry as a whole need the most right now in order to be successful in general? Well, that's, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, it's always it's a trick um, question. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of perseverance mm. because it, it's, I think it can be very easy to get discouraged. Oh, yes. and, and I think particularly because we still do live in a very kind of, you know, male-dominated world. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I'd say, you know... Um, to have the courage of your convictions and to kind of keep your your eye on what you know is the the right thing. Gail, I feel like you're talking to me right now <laughs> because <laughs> I swear last month I had such a hard month. We as Femtech Focus were invited to be a keynote speaker at the Women's March in Austin and it got canceled because the proud boys came and protested it and it became dangerous. Yeah. That same week we had a um uh, an event that got zoom bombed with all these men coming in there and showing their penises and playing horrible porn noises. And at that weekend, I just cried and cried. And I felt like I was working so hard for women and I felt yeah. just so defeated that week in particular, you know, yeah. and it was, and I had this sense of like, why am I even doing this? You know, like they're so horrible. They don't even care. Like, right. why do I even try? Thank goodness. I have an amazing co-founder. Yeah. Anyone on here, if you're listening and you don't have a co-founder, it's a great thing to have because when you're down, they're usually up when they're yeah. down, you're up. And so I, you Absolutely. know, had a lot of good people supporting me through yeah. it, but like, Gail, perseverance, totally. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Well, and, and, and as Michelle Obama says, when they go low, you go high. I love Michelle. <laughs> Michelle, we really want you on the show so bad. I, yeah. We love her. We love Michelle. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Gail, this yeah. has been so awesome. Thank you so much for your time this evening. And um, I I am so grateful for what you do. I think it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for doing this. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to my interview with Gail Sexton Anderson, founder, CEO of Donor Concierge and Tulip. That was a fascinating conversation about ethics of egg donation and surrogacy. I really appreciated this honest dialogue and being able to ask questions. If you guys ever have additional questions, make sure to message us on social media at Femtech Focus. We would 
happily pass it on to the guests of our show, really. So follow us at Femtech Focus and shoot us a message. Already Fem fans, if you are planning on doing anything fun in 2021, then I highly recommend coming to our podcast listening parties. We did it this past fall and it was so much fun. So we're kicking it off again next year. And what we're doing is um, actually kicking off with a legend, Ida Tin. Ida Tin is the founder of Clue and the person who coined the word Femtech. And so her listening party is taking place on January 4th. It's going to be Mondays in 2021, Mondays from uh, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. And it's one hour long where we listen to an episode of the podcast and we chat live with people from around the country. And it is just so much fun. So definitely mark your calendars. It's going to be every Monday next year. And the first one is January 4th with Ida Tin. Register for the event on our website, femtechfocus.org. There you can also subscribe to our newsletter, join our virtual community, and contribute to our end-of-year fundraising campaign. And until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness. Mm -hmm.